We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. It's mailbag time, and we're looking at our Google Doc, and there's nine pages of questions. So that's awesome. Thank you all for heeding the call on Twitter. It's really the only place we advertise this. A lot of questions this week. Some are evergreen, some are not. We consider pushing some back, but we're just going to let it rip. We're going to keep these like to a tight hour, so there'll be multiple of these. If you're interested in these mailbag-type shows, you'll have a bunch of content to listen to, and I think some of it will be applicable next week as well as we you know, have this 14-day period in my mind before the next meaningful Giant game. And I know that's highly debated with some fans, but that's how I'm viewing this thing. No offense to Week 18 uh, with nothing to play for. But having said that... Um, if your question isn't answered in this first one, it's probably going to be answered in the second one. If it's not answered in the second one, it'll be answered in the third one. So maybe that's our little like uh, ploy to get you to listen to all these. No, just kidding. If you if you if you if you do want to just hear your own question, reach out to me and I could let you know which episode it's on because we're organizing it by the doc. But without further ado, Nick, you want to jump into this thing or do you have anything you want to say? Now, nah, let's get right into it, Dan. We'll start with Jonathan Schmidt's question. It's a two part question. First. Is the Giants drafting three wide receivers in this year's draft a crazy thought? The free agent class is pretty weak, and at the moment, we probably only have Wandell coming back mid-year, Isaiah Hodgins, and maybe Sterling Shepard coming back. If we draft three wide receivers, we give ourselves the opportunity to firmly, and then it goes to two part two, I guess, lock up the position for a while at a very cost-effective price, which is important given the vast number of holes we have elsewhere. That doesn't preclude getting a true number one later on, though I do think the money will be better spent elsewhere this offseason. It is only one question. That's just how the tweet ended up organizing it. Yeah, it's an interesting question, Jonathan. It's an interesting experiment. I also think if you're going this route, you're hoping to find a number one. If you're taking a wide receiver like in the first round, in the second round, and maybe like in the third or fourth or fifth, you're hoping to get a wide receiver one out of this. I don't think every pick the Giants make is going to be like a Wandell Robinson type pick. And that's not to knock the guy, but I don't really truly see wide receiver one in his future. And that's fine. They didn't really want, they wanted something else when they drafted him um, and they needed something else. And I think he'll be back too. So, as far as the question goes, it, it is interesting because if you did hit on two of the three, let's say, 
you would have them under team control for a while. The issue with that is we're seeing more and more, especially at the wide receiver position. You don't really get to, if the guy breaks out, you don't really get to enjoy the rookie contract anymore at that position. DK Metcalf is a good example. Last season, off season, he basically said, I'm not going to play for the Seahawks. If you don't resign me to a mega deal right now, I don't need to play here. Like I'll just walk when my deals up in a year or two. And, that's happening with a lot of wide receivers. So I don't think the cost effective thing plays out as, as maybe we would think it does on paper. And I think there's too much risk personally. I don't mind cluster drafting, but I think there's too much risk personally to use like two of their first three picks, let's say on a wide receiver, because I just feel like there's a massive, massive amount of holes from a depth standpoint on the defensive side of the ball. And from a starting standpoint at multiple positions on a defense side of the ball, I actually am hoping for a defensive heavy draft overall that doesn't mean i won't take a wide receiver if there's one there that i like or two there that i like or an offensive lineman that i like or a tight end that i like or maybe even a running back that i like but i am typically if i had to guess right now or i mean if i had to maybe like you know prognosticate right now i would say defensive heavy is where i would hope this draft goes i just look at both sides of the ball and i think there's way less depth on the defensive side of the ball I also think the Giants do a really good job from a pro scouting standpoint to find wide receivers who can plug into this system as long True. as they know how to operate the system and know where to be against certain coverages, certain leverages, and things of that nature. We saw that with Isaiah Hodgins. We saw it with Colin Johnson going back to training camp, who I think would have been a huge part of this offense if he did not get injured. And we also saw teams like the 2018 Packers do this, right? With the cluster drafting, they drafted like Jamon Moore in the fourth round, who never right. really did anything. But then I believe they got Marquez Valdez Scantling and Equinemius St. Brown in the sixth round. And Marquez Valdez Scantling was a starter for them for basically his entire rookie contract. I'm not opposed to doing that, but it all depends on the value, as we always say, not to be boring, but I don't want the Giants to reach at the wide receiver position when they have holes at linebacker and they have holes in the secondary. You need to have the value aligned, so I'm not going to try to force it, but I do believe the Giants will obviously look at that position because it's still a position that does need depth. Yeah, that's a fair that's a fair assessment. Okay, Max asks, what do you make of the report stories of a Daniel Jones extension and the Tyler Dunn article on Jones from the preseason coming out at roughly the same time. Feels like this front office has already proven to be able to manipulate the media in a way the previous regime didn't, i.e. the draft with Kayvon Thibodeau. Love it, Max. Yeah, I haven't really thought too much about the correlation between those two things. But in terms of the Jones extension, that's to no one's surprise, right? The Giants aren't going to have a top pick. They're not going to be able to go out and get a CJ Stroud, a Bryce Young, a Will Levis, whoever whoever they would look to get. And I think Daniel Jones has proven himself enough to be like, hey, we can go forward with him in the immediate and then we can reevaluate depending on how the situation unfolds. And in terms of the Tyler Dunn article, for those who do not know, Tyler Dunn came out with an article and I don't remember what publication it was on Dan. I'm not 100% sure what that was. was. I don't know. On his publication, Go Long Newsletter or something. Okay, so it might have been on that then. But he basically said that Brian Dable scripted plays to make Daniel Jones look bad and Tyrod Taylor look good throughout training camp. I don't think that's... Uh, I don't think it's crazy, right? But I don't think it was the only focus. It's maybe something that they did sometimes. They just wanted to see how Daniel Jones handled the duress against really, really bad coverages. And I think in the article, if I'm not mistaken, did he not say that that Daniel Jones or they told Wink Martindale what the offensive plays were going to be and allowed Daniel Jones or allowed Wink Martindale to call plays to stop Daniel Jones when he was out there and they didn't do that to Tyrod Taylor? I could be mistaken there. I think that's what I read. And if that is the case... It did not like it did not make Daniel Jones look good, right? Like we talked about that pretty extensively right. back in training camp. I don't think it's the craziest thing, but to circle back to your question, Max, I, I never correlated the two between that and the contract talks. 
Yeah, this is I love putting on the thinking cap for these like, uh, you know, conspiracy theory. To, not that this is a conspiracy theory, but these these types of questions, I would estimate that they're not related. And I'll say that. Why am I saying that, Max? Because when giant stories do tend to leak like that or they're leaking on purpose, it'll typically go through like a Paul Schwartz, for example, or a Ralph Fecchiano, two guys who both have been working on the beat for like decades at this point, And they have inside sources like Tyler Dunn to me. Either this this might be true from whoever's sources, but he's not really like somebody who I think the Giants like purposely leaking information to. So I don't think that they're connected in that way at all. Um, so that would be my kind of guess there. Yeah, and I also uh, think it's just funny, man, that Daniel Jones rose to the occasion if that were to be true, right? Yes. Because it did not look pretty. Like going back to our headspace and training camp, Dan, we were all very negative on Daniel Jones because those were all the reports. Everybody right. on the beat. It's not like anybody on the beat was like, no, nah, no, nah, he was good. Like it was all, he was under pressure. The offensive line couldn't pick up twists. They couldn't pick up any sort of stunts. Like the defense had the full advantage. It's just good to see that the offense has stabilized. And now the Giants are heading into the playoffs and the offense is clicking on all cylinders. Let's hope they can maintain that level of energy. T Campbell asks outside of Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, who needs to have a big impact for us to have success in the playoffs? That's a great question. I think that the two edges are going to have to have a big playoffs. That's Thibodeau and Ojolari, really the entire defensive line. They're going to have to rise to the occasion. If I can only pick one, it would be that, that group, that group up front. Hopefully, you know, obviously I think it's pretty clear that, the Giants aren't going to foolishly play Leonard Williams this week. Leonard Williams had to leave last game with a burner. He's been basically playing hurt all year. It kind of sucks too, by the way, Nick, in my mind, like I've noticed it on film. Like if we just had a fully Leonard healthy Leonard Williams right now, this would be another up big upgrade to the line. I feel like he's just not playing at the same level because he's playing so hurt. He's still playing through it, which is great. And he's still better than a healthy backup that we have. We don't really have much depth on the interior defensive line anymore, but at the same time, you know, you give him a week, maybe he'll be he'll feel a little fresher for that playoff game. So I would say the whole defensive line. Yeah, Dexter Lawrence specifically would be would be one of the big ones. And obviously, if Adore Jackson's back, because if the Giants do face the Vikings, you're gonna need to have some sort of answer for Justin Jefferson. So it's not TJ Hawkinson burning you because you're allocating so many of your resources to stopping Justin Jefferson. Right. T Campbell also asked, normally we'll we're looking to next season by now. Who's your top realistic free agent target and draft prospect? Yeah, I would say probably the top realistic free agent target for me right now would be Edmonds, the middle linebacker from Buffalo. Uh, just think that he is a clear upgrade to what the Giants have at middle linebacker on the inside. Think he has speed, athleticism. He's still young. Those are the type of players you want to invest in if you're going to invest in free agency. As far as the draft goes, I don't have much on the draft just yet, though. I will say this. Uh, Jackson Smith. How do you say his last name? Jackson Smith Enigma. Jingba. Jingba. I would love to draft him in the first round. If he falls because of the injury, just look at his 2021 tape last year with Ohio State. He was outproducing Garrett Wilson and Olave. That says something to me. And I just think he perfectly fits like the current version of the Giants pass offense. He's He would play the Richie James role better than Wandell did, better than Richie James did, better than Shepard did. So that would be kind of an early target for me. Yeah, I'm not gonna opine on that quite yet. I want to actually like watch tape on these guys and and, and you know what I can't wait for, by the way, Nick. What's up, man? I can't wait for um to watch the UNC receiver Josh Downs. And the reason I'm excited for you to watch that, I, I think he could be an interesting option for the Giants. We'll see. Um, they might be interested in him in round one or two. But I just want to see what your thoughts are on Drake May when you get a chance to watch Josh Downs, because that's the quarterback you'll get to see. I mean, he had good film from a year ago too, um, playing with Howell, but 
it's just going to be fun for me to get your your initial take on May because I'm I'm incredibly high on the two quarterbacks that are coming out next year's draft, May and Caleb Williams. I got to watch a little bit of May against Oregon. I was actually okay. out at this place in Arizona called Westgate, which I was unfamiliar with. And when you were out here, I wish I took you there because yeah. it's freaking beautiful. It's awesome. Oh, nice. But there's a fat Tuesdays there, bro. And anytime there's a fat Tuesdays, I'm like, bro, I'm going to go and I'm going to get an <laughs> alcoholic slushy. So I did. And I sat there with my girl and we watched a little bit of Drake May against Oregon before getting actually Korean barbecue, ironically enough. Oh, nice. Yes. I've had Korean barbecue twice this year, ever <laughs> since everybody jumped on me for never having it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll move past the draft stuff for now. We'll go to DK from BK who asked, this is not giant specific, but can you explain what you mean by the half man relationship in pass rush situations and stacking a corner when it comes to wide receiver and defensive back play? Yeah, DK from BK, the half man relationship is a relationship between an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman. And what I mean when I say half man relationship, if you're a defensive lineman, it is much easier to win through half of an offensive lineman than it is to win through his full body, to go through him through via a bull rush. So what you're attempting to do is get either inside or outside of him beat his feet up the arc, if you will, get hip to hip, and then that can set up any type of pass rushing move through that outside shoulder because it's much easier to beat half of a guy. There's a lot less weight there, a lot less strength there, and you can put yourself into a much better position to defeat that lineman and then get into the pocket or do whatever you're attempting to do. So that's what I mean by half-man relationship. When a defender has the half-man relationship, he is in an advantageous situation, right? And then stacking a cornerback is something that a wide receiver does off the line of scrimmage. It's an action, right? So you're attempting to defeat the cornerback up on you. Say the cornerback is impressed. That is some of the easier ways to stack a wide receiver. You fake a release to the outside, go inside. And now that cornerback thought you were going outside. So he's going to cheat to the outside and then you go inside. So now he's out of position. And once you beat him and you win around his edge, you basically angle yourself directly behind that cornerback. And now that cornerback is in a position where he can't make any sort of play on the football if the football is placed over your shoulder. So there is an automatic... I guess, uh, method to where the quarterback can deliver you the football with a little bit of touch, but the cornerback can't even make a play on it. Yeah, that's you. That that is a great breakdown, Nick, of both of those things. And I love when I watch the film and a receiver, it does stack a defensive back because you just know he beat him there. And all, all that matters from that point on is the quarterback. Um, so good breakdown. We'll move on to the next question from Doug Analytics, who says our shout out, Doug Analytics. He always deserves one. He says, in a likely scenario, the Giants play the Vikings in round one. What would you guys do similar or different from the last matchup? Are there any specific plays from the game that the Giants could counter off of? I would like to probably go back to the tape to see that. But just um, going off my mind, because I, I wrote something recently. I actually did a YouTube video for Big Blue View where I discussed the boundary stacks. It's something we've been talking about a lot recently. And we saw that a lot after the bye week. If I go back to the Detroit game, I remember there was a lot of boundary stacks and just stacks in general in that garbage time in the third quarter right. and the fourth quarter when the Giants were down like 24 to six or whatever it was, and they were able to pass the football. I believe that was Daniel Jones' highest passing game, right? It's even higher than the Minnesota game. And then they used it a little bit in Dallas in some garbage time. And then they really started to employ it in a competitive game against Minnesota. And it allowed Richie James to come open against the quarters look that the Vikings were employing. So I would like to use that boundary stack, which is something that the Giants used a ton against the Indianapolis Colts to a lot of success. 
So I'd like to use that. I'd like to build stuff off of that and not be as predictable with it. Not that the Giants are whatsoever, but I'd really probably want to go through the tape and review it to see if there's anything specifically different that I would want them to do. I will say this though, hopefully Adoree Jackson, Doug Analytics will be back and that can allow you to maybe focus a little bit more on TJ Hawkinson. Obviously the primary focus will be stopping Justin Jefferson. But when you're just getting absolutely abused by that second guy, you have to do something about it. And TJ Hawkinson is, to me, a, a I would say an underrated tight end. I don't think he ever kind of lived up to his potential, but we're seeing what he can do in an offense that allows him to have these one-on-one -on -one situations. He's just picking on these second-level defenders and these safeties. I wouldn't want that to necessarily happen too much. That and be judicious with your, with your blitzing package. Like, I don't really... Like we talked about this, Dan. I don't really hold anything against Wink Martindale for bringing that blitz on what was that the think the third and nine and then the third and eleven. One of those though was like, oh man, you were getting home with your four man pass rush. Like right. why'd you bring seven there? And all Kirk Cousins had to do was throw it to the location outside the numbers, and Fabian Morel couldn't do anything. So maybe just be a little bit more judicious with that in certain situations. Yeah, Nick nailed where I was going to go with this. On the offensive side of the ball, I think he covered it pretty well. On the defense side of the ball, it's where I was going to go. I think this is a game where they should not be blitzing as much as they want to. And I know it goes against what Wink Martindale wants to do. It goes against his whole philosophy. But in the past, not just with the Giants, but with the Ravens as well, he has mixed up his game plans, and he hasn't always gone as blitz-heavy. And given the injuries on the Vikings offensive line, specifically the Brian O'Neill and, and Garrett Bradbury, who may not be back, they say he'll be back for the Giants game. We don't know for sure. And their other center behind him is injured as well. They have massive amount of injuries on their offensive line right now. Given those injuries, I would just trust the four-man pass rush, especially if you know you give Leonard Williams that week to recover. Then you have Ojolari who gets a week as well. Both those guys should not be playing in week 18, and I don't think Brian Dable will play those guys. So you bring them all back fresh, four-man rush. Trust your pass rush a little bit more, I, I, honestly a lot more. And then also... I would say just think of like maybe like interesting coverages. I don't know. This is probably a better question for you, Nick, but where you can like bait cousins to into throwing that, that post corner route with uh, Justin Jefferson. Cause he's leaning on that route. Like every time I watch the Vikings, not just against the giants where he fired that, even the one he missed on like the third down was open. Yeah. Jefferson got open, but he underthrew him. Like, do something interesting, like throw a safe, like, you know, drop a safety. Like he looks like he's in the deep half and then cut him off as a robber and try to play it like that with McKinney. Cause you know, McKinney has those kind of instincts to, to, to drive on a route like that and make a play on it. Love can probably do that as well. I don't know. Just kind of bait him into throwing that. Cause that's like his go-to cousins. When things go, when things get tough, he just wants to get it out there on that post corner. Um, and so that would be something I would keep in mind as well. Yeah, they run it a lot against man coverage. It'd be hard to to do that because what if it actually is a post and that's right. safety you give it up close wide open. And, right? Yeah, yeah. It's tough. So you gotta be smart it's with just that. A tough route to cut. But if you have a linebacker who maybe looks like he's or like an edge, that's like where you can maybe use Thibodeau and drop him. If but then I'm sure Cousins can recognize that. So it's definitely tough. It is a little tough, but this is an interesting question. It doesn't have anything to do with the Giants. Can you guys rate Step Brothers? from one to 10. And I don't think we've ever talked about the movie Step Brothers, Dan. I love the movie Step Brothers. So yeah. for me, it's going to be like an 8.9. Okay. Um, maybe it should have been higher on the comedy scale. I don't know. But, uh, no, I still have some comedies that are like higher than it for me, but lo love the movie. Hilarious movie um, all around. I'll take Will Farrell any day in, in almost any comedy. So what about you? 
I had like an 8.5. I absolutely okay. love the movie as yeah. well. Like I, I don't want to be a tough grader or anything, but like I look at a lot of those Judd Apatow movies in that area. Like I feel like Superbad's probably a little bit higher on my list than, yeah. than maybe Step Brothers. Maybe just because it came out, I think a year or two after and I was a little bit older. I was still in high school at that time, but Step Brothers, I think was like earlier when I was in high school. But for whatever reason, like Superbad kind of was a, would probably get like a strong 9.5 for me, but I still really love Step Brothers. A.V. Hustle asks, given Daniel Jones' skill set, Plus what we've seen from the Dable Kafka offense, what kind of weapons do you think are needed in the offseason? There's specific kind of receiver, for example. I think a healthy one would be the <laughs> first the first way to start. No, I honestly think a a better version of like a Richie James is is what we should be looking yeah. for, which I think we have on the roster right now with Wandell Robinson. So now you're just looking for guys with size, which I could argue the New York Giants have. It's just they don't have a superstar type of skill set in Isaiah Hodgins and in Colin Johnson, who's coming off of a serious injury. But I just think, look, I know it's boring, but I think the Giants live up to it. You want them to be smart, tough, and dependable. And I think it really lives up to it at the wide receiver position. Unfortunately, these guys have suffered a ton of injuries, so they're not necessarily dependable. But you have to be smart. Like You have to understand leverage. You have to understand coverage. And like we've said so many times on the podcast, Daniel Bellinger fits this so well. How many times do you find Daniel Bellinger cutting his route off early? or? Right if it is man coverage, extending the route and running away from the coverage, you need to be able to do that. You need to be able to be on the same page with Daniel Jones. That is predicated on what the defense is running. So you need to know how to run routes and you need to know where to be and how to uncover. And that's kind of what I'm looking for that. And look, if we're looking for an ideal world, somebody with a superstar type of athletic ability as well, which I don't think the giants have on their roster right now. And hopefully that same guy can possess some sort of size so he can go up and get those 50, 50 balls. That's kind of where I'm at. Those guys don't grow on trees, but I'm imagining there's probably several good wide receivers coming out in the draft because it seems like every single season right now, Dan, there's always really good wide receivers who are coming out. Yeah, I don't think there's like a Jamar Chase type prospect in this class, but there are some definite 1A, 1B type receivers. For me, I think what's going to happen is the Giants are going to let Darius Slayton walk just based on their own salary cap situation. They have so many contracts to get to between Jones, Barkley, Lawrence eventually, and Thomas eventually, and Love this offseason. Like, they're not they're not going to have, like right now it looks all great on paper. They have a lot of cap space. That's going to dry up real fast. And so they're going to have to make tough decisions on players like Slayton. So with Slayton gone, what I'm looking for is speed. That's what I want at the wide receiver position. Now I'm not so sure that fits perfectly to answer your question, A.V. Hustle, with what we've seen from the offense. Because I don't really think this is an offense that looks to throw downfield that often. And that's okay. Because one thing Daniel Jones said, which I thought was really interesting. Someone tweeted this at me. It was from a recent interview. He was like, one of the things that I learned this year and one of the biggest jumps that I, one of the things that's led to the jump I've made, he didn't say those exact words, but he was basically saying the jump I've made is that I've learned when to take, when to not like go for everything on the throws and when to just make the right decisions of the throws. And I think that's a lot of what he's trying to do. Just like solve it, pre-snap, find it. And with this offense, a lot of those solutions that Kafka and Jones and Dable, you know, come together about before the games, during the games, in the huddle, like after, you know, after offensive possessions with the defense on the field, a lot of those pre-snap solutions they find are there. That's part, part of why I think this offense is working so well. They're figuring out solutions based on the coverages and they're guessing it right right now. And so I just think that's going to stay that way for a little while until I'm, and I'm not, you know, it is what it is until I'm proven otherwise, until we start seeing other things happening for this offense then, you know, and it's not like there's no examples of it, right? There are examples of Jones, like moving through a full field of reads. And he does that. He's done that constantly this year, but there are a lot more examples of just going with what he, what him Kafka and Dable decide is going to be their pre-snap and just firing it. And it's there. So with that said, 
I, w- I want to get speed on the field because I want there to be, if we lose Slayton, that same, you know, that same ability to line a receiver up on the boundary and have a corner play 10 yards off the ball or, you know, have a safety play a little further back because they respect at least that you're going to take a deep shot. And I think that's something the Giants will do, by the way, from this point on, like in their playoff game and moving forward, they will be they'll go back to taking deep shots. I don't think that's like not part of their offense, but if they lose Slayton, I want to add speed there. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think speed in any offense is going to do you well. Even if you don't throw it deep, the threat of it is going to force defenses to respect you. Mo asks, would you give up a first round pick this year for Devontae Adams or Nuke Hopkins, both of whom seem to want out of their current situations? How about a second or third for either T. Higgins or Brandon Ayuk, both of whom are the number two on a team with clear number ones? Yeah, so for me, I'll start by saying I couldn't be more out on trading for DeAndre Hopkins. I have no interest in it. I think it'll be a horrible decision, and I think it will really hurt the franchise. Why do I think that? Well, he's completely out of his prime from an age standpoint. Massive amounts of injuries have built up with DeAndre Hopkins now through the years. He's bad injuries last year, bad injuries this year, suspended for PDs, probably to help him recover from injuries. That is a body to me that's breaking down. And what happens when you trade for him? He immediately gets a new contract. He has a crappy contract right now. Anyone who trades for him will have to give him a new deal. So to me, this is starting to look like a potential Kenny Galladay type situation. And I'm trading picks for him and I'm trading draft picks. In addition, it's not just the Galladay thing where I'm just signing him free agency, no draft picks. So to me, I'm completely out on that. Devontae Adams is a little more interesting because I still think he's probably like the best, second best or third best receiver in the NFL. But I'm not that kind of GM. So it is what it is, Mo, but I'm never going to be the guy. Look, if I felt like we were closer to being a competitive year after year Super Bowl team, I'm going to be honest with you. If, I, if, I, if we had Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, I'd be willing to make that trade for Devontae Adams right now. And it's funny because Mahomes teams traded away Tyreek Hill and is still like has the best offense in the NFL. Yeah. But we have also seen, you know, Tyreek Hill go to the Dolphins and spark that offense. So with where the Giants are at, I'm not ready for Devontae Adams. The only players I would consider, you say, you know, in your next part, would you give a two or three for Higgins and Ayuk? I don't think the Bengals are trading Higgins. I don't really know where that's coming from. But Ayuk is a certain possibility. Why? Because the 49ers, unlike the Bengals, have a lot more of their cap ready tied up. They have Bosa under contract. They have William. They have plenty of big names. Warner. They're gonna have to resign. They've already just gave a huge contract to Debo, which the Bengals haven't done yet for a position skill player yet. So they're likely going to consider trading Ayuk at some point because I don't think they can resign him. And I love Brandon Ayuk. I think Brandon Ayuk, from a talent standpoint, is just completely underrated right now in the NFL. If you yeah. if you follow Matt Harmon's work. Um, I've shouted him out before. We've had him on the podcast before. He charts every receiver for his reception perception. Um, and his success rate, Brandon Ayuk, is unreal. I think he's a deep threat. I think he's an after-the-catch guy. I think he's big and better in contestant catch situation. I think he could be a superstar. I love the idea of Ayuk. Ayuk is the receiver I'm more interested in trading for than basically anyone right now. So if it is Ayuk, then I become interested. He's young. You know, he's. I think his best is ahead of him in a better situation. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Devontae Adams is 30 years old, and I love Devontae Adams, but I wouldn't trade a first for him or for Nuke. In terms of T. Higgins and Brandon Ayuk, though, I think I would pull the trigger on both of those for a two because I think both of them are both of them can be a true number one. They're not like like uh, the person who asked the question said, Mo, but Brandon Ayuk, as you already laid out, is very underrated. If he wasn't on Kyle Shanahan's team, we would all know him much more as a playmaking threat. He's just on a run-based team right now, and I really appreciate his skill set. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download Bet Win. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the WinBet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During WinBet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on WinBet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. I was running low on some groceries, so naturally, I went to a store that sells said groceries to look for my refreshments. There I was in the beverage aisle, and I saw these tall boys of what I originally thought was beer, but it was actually in the bottled water section, and it was mountain spring water from the Alps, and it was called Liquid Death. And I thought to myself, do I want to try this beverage that is named Liquid Death because I hear it brutally murders your thirst, and their recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. And they also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those are some pretty cool causes. So I bought myself some liquid death, and I enjoyed it. I was parched, and then I drank it, so I was not. So if you want to try some of this liquid death, go get liquid death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a liquid death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. That's liquiddeath.com slash bigblue.
Giants and Mellow Season asks, Big Blue Banter, do you see any possible way that Saquon Barkley is not a Giant next year? And if Shane does do a long-term deal, would that concern you about the philosophies moving forward? Good question. Um, the second part especially. I'll start by saying I think there is a possible way Saquon Barkley is not a Giant next year. Meanwhile, I don't think there's really a possible way Daniel Jones is not a Giant. So I think it's possible but I don't think it's likely. I think most likely they will resign Barkley, but I think it will be more of a three-year deal. I don't think it's going to be a long-term deal. I don't think that, I think that's where the marriage happens. Like that's where the bridge is, is gapped there. It's, it's, we're going to take him back, but we're not going to go crazy with like a seven-year deal or something like that. But honestly, I don't see, it's just, there's a lot of moving parts here. I feel like he means a lot to that locker room. He's a leader. John Mara loves him. He sells a lot of jerseys. I just think they're willing to take the bite, to take the hit on this. And I think it's not really, I know John Mara says, I'm just going to let Joe Shane do whatever he wants. I don't know if that's necessarily true when it comes to someone like Saquon Barkley, because, and that might be, you know, I don't know what how Shane feels about it either. Shane may feel like this is an investment he can make because when Barkley's on the field, it gives his team so much better of a chance to win. Um, and he may not factor in all of that other stuff, but yeah, it's a great question. Would it concern me about his philosophy? No, because I don't think that he's fully making that decision if it's made. That's my take on it. I don't think that's unreasonable. And yeah. it also depends on the contract, too. If you give Saquon Barkley, if it's like 14, like that's fine. But if he's getting like 20, then right. I'd be a little concerned. Like I'd be like, okay, that's a little bit much. I understand resetting the market, but what are we doing here in, in 2023? But uh, I'm kind of right there with you, Dan. Elizabeth C. asks, if you could only re-sign one between Darius Slayton and Isaiah Hodgins this offseason, who would it be and why? Great question, Elizabeth. This was an excellent one. And you know, you got everyone who listens knows I'm a big fan of Darius Slayton. I'm an even bigger fan of Isaiah Hodgins. So for me, re-signing one or the only, it would be Hodgins. Um, I do believe they have Hodgins on their contract, though, and they won't have to re-sign him. They have one more year of his rights. After he's, an, he's an exclusive rights-free yeah. agent. Yeah, so they can, so they'll be able to get him cheaper than Slayton too, from that standpoint too. Which also means I would rather have him as well because it's more financially sound for the Giants and they'll save more cap space. But overall, even cap aside, financial aside, I would take Hodgins over Slayton. As would I. I think Hodgins fits this system really well. I think he might be starting in eleven personnel next year, and people will be like, "Oh, that sucks." Like, no, it doesn't. Why does that suck? Yeah. Because his name is Isaiah Hodgins. Right. That's why you think it sucks. Isaiah Hodgins is better than than the perception of him, and I Wait, feel like you put that out on tape basically ever since he arrived here. His first game was against Houston, and he was already a part of the game plan. Like I think he's a really, really underrated guy. And an interesting question was posed to me recently. Do you think that the Bills made a mistake? Do you think it's possible Hodgins was the second best receiver on the Bills? And honestly, like he may be better than Gabe Davis, right? Like They were drafted around the same rage. I watch Gabe Davis. I'm not impressed at all. He had a great playoff game last year, but... I don't know, man. Hodgins, to me, might be a better receiver than Gabe Davis. I think I would take Hodgins over Gabe Davis. Yeah, see, I would, I would have to watch a little bit more Gabe Davis yeah. uh, to to say that. I know he had a phenomenal game against the Chiefs as the number two when they're rolling coverage over to Stephon Diggs. Right. Who's to say Isaiah Hodgins couldn't have done that? I, I don't right. know, to be honest. I don't think it's unreasonable to pose. Okay, Mike Pietro asks, is it time to bring Odell Beckham Jr. back for the playoffs? Also, I'm hearing a lot of wide receiver one trade chatter this offseason. Would it realistically what would it realistically take to trade for DeAndre Hopkins or another wide receiver one? Thanks and keep up the good work. In terms of DeAndre Hopkins, we've touched on that, but what would it take? I don't think it would take a one. I think Arizona would be willing to part ways with him for something less, especially if he's being a malcontent. So maybe like it could be even like a three and five, because wasn't he 
the trade that he was involved in, I think was a two and David Johnson, right? And that was what, two years ago, two and a half, three years ago. So I don't think it would take a one, but I still, either way, I don't really want to be a part of that in terms of OBJ in the playoffs. Like this guy is still recovering from uh, an ACL. He might be fully up to speed in terms of his athletic ability, but to get him assimilated into an offense in a week, I wouldn't necessarily want that right now. We're way to me, we're a little bit too far along. We can entertain it next season, you know, after a workout and everything like that. But I don't think that's realistic right now. Yeah, I think the issue with Odell Beckham Jr. is, well, here's where it stands. On one hand, Odell Beckham Jr. inserted immediately into the Richie James role on paper seems like it would be a massive upgrade for the Giants. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly where I would personally use him, to be honest, Nick. I, I know he can play on the outside. He's a great outside receiver. But I think he'd be sick in this Richie James role. But what that doesn't do is take into account the current rapport that Daniel Jones and Richie James have. Remember, we know this is a choice uh, routes op option offense. We know this is an offense that requires the receivers to be on the same page as the quarterback. And that's a big reason why the Giants pass game has taken such a step forward because of the continuity, because of the timing, because of the rapport. Now you just throw someone into the mix without any rapport, without any timing. You take someone off the field and Richie James or anyone you would take off if you took off any of the other two receivers and you take away everything they've built and everything they know about the offense. And there could be you know, meant communication issues. There could be other issues based on that. So I just think it's a little too late right now. Just some dude asks, would you love to hear, would love to hear your path to winning the NFC and getting to a Super Bowl? Let's pretend it's possible. What are each team's weaknesses that the Giants can exploit? I don't think there is an NFC team that the Giants cannot beat. I don't think that's unreasonable either. Yeah, I don't think it's unreasonable with the exception of maybe the Eagles. We'll see what happens yes. week 18 if they try any starters. I don't think they're going to try the whole star, so I don't think it's going to be a good example anyway. But once it gets to, like, if the Giants beat the Vikings, and I think the Giants have a really good chance to beat the Vikings, they'll most likely pay, play the Eagles, though it's not impossible that the Packers can beat the Lions and then the Packers can beat the 49ers, honestly. I don't know what happened with the 49ers last game, but if there are some now chinks in that armor of the defense, and I don't know if that's the case. I didn't watch the tape on that. But say the Giants beat the pa uh, Vikings, the Packers beat the uh, beat the 49ers in the 2-7 game, right? Now the Giants get the matchup of the Bucks or Cowboys. Say it's the <laughs> Bucks. I think the Giants can beat the Bucks. Um, I just feel like right now with where that Bucks offense is at. Now, it could be better with Jensen coming back at center, but Worfs is playing through a nasty ankle injury. He's not the same. Um, so there's injuries there on the rest of the offensive line. Then they beat the Bucks, let's say. And how, what are the strengths there? You, you, you pressure Brady right now. I think that's the best thing you can do at this point. Yeah, he's somebody who kills you usually when you pressure him throughout other years of his career, but not this year. It just doesn't look the same there. Um, They're not well coached, man. They're yeah, not well. They're really not well coached. Todd Bowles is a terrible head coach. Uh, like they won last week against Carolina because of three bombs yes. to Mike Evans, and because of a turnover in the in the in their own territory by Carolina, and like just stupid stuff that Carolina did that screwed them. But yeah, so they get the Bucks. I think the Giants are a better team than the Bucks. And then you know you it's Packers or Eagles, and you probably play the Eagles. Let's say, um, but let's just say it's the perfect path. Like he says, you know, here. Um, what does he say? Let's pretend it's possible. So the Packers upset the, the Eagles and now we're hosting the NFC championship game, the six, seven giants versus Packers. And we play a team in green Bay who already beat once this season. Yeah. They weren't playing as well. And they didn't have Christian Watson incorporated in the offense yet. Both things would be issues, but they already beat this team. And I would have a lot of confidence. The giants offense versus the Packers defense, like first that Joe Barry defense. I think Mike Kafka would absolutely school him again, just like he did the first time. So that's the path for me, right? Giants over Vikings Packers over, um, 49ers, Packers over Eagles, 
Giants over Bucks, Giants over Packers. That's the path. That is the most logical path. I don't necessarily want to play the Eagles or the Cowboys even. I don't want to go down to Jerry World and see the Cowboys. I feel like Kellen Moore uh, kind of took Wink Martindale to school two times. And I, I don't really know if that's fair, especially in the second game because there's the so many injuries. Having, in the game. Yeah. yeah. But the giants also had two interceptions and, and, True. um, and were able to force Dak into some really bad mistakes in that second game. But when you just see what they were doing in terms of rushing the football and we know, I, I just think if there's one thing that I'm not confident in going into the playoffs, it's the giants run defense. I think Dallas would find a way to exploit that. And I think, the 49ers would, and I think and the Eagles, the Eagles will. Those are the so three those teams are, that will crush us in the run game. But in terms of the Bucks, like what are they going to? They're just going to keep running off tackle power yeah. with freaking Leonard Fournette. Like I'm not really scared of that. Yeah. I, I Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon are, are great backs. Aaron Rodgers is obviously a Hall of Fame quarterback, but as you said, Joe Barry is their defensive coordinator. I think he's a very I don't even know if overrated is the right word because I don't even know if a lot of people think of yeah. him highly, but I think he's very exploitable. So I think I have that same path to the uh, Super Bowl as you do. It might seem unlikely. Crazier things have happened. I wouldn't bet on it, but hey, I'm just going to take this one game at a time and enjoy the ride because it's been a while, man. Yes, agreed. Okay, Dan on the run asks, what the latest news that Jones will be back next year? Well, that's not news yet. It's just like one report from Rappaport, so that's not guaranteed, but it's likely, I agree. How would you improve wide receiver one position? Would you draft, trade? If trade, who are some of the targets you're looking at? So we've gone over a lot of the targets ready for trade, but what would would you be jamming it this offseason or would you let it come to you? Would be the better question here. Like jam wide receiver, like do anything you can to find a wide receiver one this offseason or let it come to you organically. That doesn't sound like Joe Shane. I don't think yeah, he's going to be jamming it either. I think he's going to do his due diligence, scout everybody. There's going to be plenty of wide receivers who are available throughout the draft at every level of the draft. And in terms of the uh, the trade market, look this is a different NFL right now. Last offseason, you saw Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill traded. That's possible. That could realistically happen. But I wouldn't want Joe Shane to go above and beyond to trade number one picks to go out and, and get these players if they're not a wide receiver like a Tyreek Hill or, or Jamar Chase, which obviously those guys are not going to become available. Like We're talking about guys in their 30s who are coming off of injuries. Like I said, I don't know who that malcontent is right now who wants out that right. I think the Giants should go out and pursue, not named Devontae Adams, who I'm kind of airing against because he is a little bit older at this point. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and I, I, I agree with what you said. I don't think Joe Shane is going to jam wide receiver. And that's a good thing. If we, if we can't, you know, if we just have to go back to the draft for receiver, or if we just have to go into next season with like Hodgins, Wandale, James, and guys that he finds again, I don't think it, to me, it's not the biggest end of the world. You can't jam positions in the NFL when you're building a roster, you have to let it come to you. It's the only way this thing works. It's just like poker to me. It's like, whenever you're down in poker, you're stuck. You have a bet. Let's say you have pocket Kings. Here comes another poker reference that Nick's going to love. First hand of the night, you buy in for 600. You got pocket kings. You run into pocket aces. You lose it all in. Now you're down 600. You're stuck 600. You rebuy for 600. The worst thing you can do is start to make, try to make things happen by playing all these bad hands that you wouldn't normally play. It's similar to me in the NFL roster building. Like You have to let this wide receiver one, this, this magical wide receiver one everybody wants, and I understand why they want it, but you have to let it come to you. It could come to you in the first round of the draft. It could come to you in the second round. It couldn't come to you next draft. Like That's possible too. It's not a guarantee. Or the trade, like you want to trade for one? Well, that might not happen this offseason. That might be something you need to do next season. And Joe Shane will navigate those waters, and when it comes to him and when it falls into his lap, that's when he'll strike. So that's my personal take on it. Yeah, I think that's a good take too. So we have 
Matt Steinberg asks, how does the treasure trove of free agent talent at the running back position this offseason affect Saquon's contract leverage? Yeah, so this is a good question because there are a lot of great free agent running backs like Josh Jacobs, among others. But unfortunately, I don't think it affects it much. I'll be honest. Now, if the Giants wanted to play hardball, it would affect it more. But I don't think that's what they want to do with Saquon Barkley. If they're going to resign him or if they have any interest in resigning him, I think they're going to want to make it known that we love you. We want you here. We'll work with your agent. We'll come up with something here. And so I think the perception is Saquon Barkley is one of the best running backs in the NFL and somebody who transcends the position, touched by the hand of God, by, the, you know, people who in your own organization have said that before. So, I mean, that what does that do for your leverage, right? Or for the organization's leverage. So I don't ultimately think it will. I think he's going to get a massive contract from the Giants on a per year basis. I hope they're able to keep it to two to three years, but. We'll see what happens on that front. And we brought this up in the past too. And I think it's worth acknowledging that Andrew Thomas is a member of rock nation, just as Saquon Barkley is. Yeah. So they have the same agent firm. I don't know if you'd really want to be playing incredible hardball with rock nation. If they do represent some of your other top talent that you're definitely going to want to resign. Sure. I think that's fair. Okay. Chi Chinese Taiwanese poppy asks, Biggest need for the Giants the next uh, for next season, this offseason? Look, I, I think this question gets fascinating when we say need relative to importance, right? Because I think their biggest need might be linebacker, but I'm not 100% certain if that's the most important thing to add to your team, right? In terms of the value of the position. But when you watch this team, Dan, it's pretty obvious that they can't defend power and they can't defend counter. So yeah. I kind of go into this situation being like, yeah, they need secondary depth. They can use interior defensive linemen. They can use interior offensive linemen. Certainly they can use a wide receiver. They might need a running back if Saquon Barkley doesn't return, although I think he will return. But I might go with linebacker, man. Like if you added a true number one stud linebacker to this defense, that would really help sure up their inability to defend these power concepts, which takes away a lot of what opposing offensive coordinators have done to exploit your defense all season. Yeah. I think this question, honestly, oftentimes gets like mixed up. People hear biggest need and they think like, that means that's the first person you're going to draft. That's not what it means. Or that means the first priority you're going to use your, your most money, your best asset. No, that's not what it means. We're just simply talking about what's the biggest need. There are different ways to, to address it, but what is the biggest one to me? It's linebacker and it's not even close. But I look at this team when I watch it on film week after week, there's one thing that the Giants cannot do from a personnel standpoint and stop the run. And has, and it should not be the case when you have a defensive line that is Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams, but quite literally, people just run away from them and there's nothing the Giants can do. Why is that the case? Because these second level defenders are not doing their job at a high level. So to me, they're like, you look at everything else. Oh, the interior offensive line. Well, there's been some good games from the interior offensive line, right? Oh, the receivers. Well, there's been some good games from the receivers. Oh, the corners. Well, there's been some good games from Fabian Moreau and those corners and McLeod as well. But there hasn't really been good games on a consistent basis from those linebackers. So to me, it's the clear-cut biggest need based on that. Um, he also asks, what's your concern about losing our coordinators for this next season? I don't really have any concern about losing Wink Martindale. I have a little bit of concern about losing Mike Kafka because I think a lot of owners around the NFL are looking at this Daniel Jones situation and they're saying, wow, 
he really developed under the tutelage of Brian Dable, but also Mike Kafka. And it seems like the NFL is trending much more towards these younger head coaches with offensive backgrounds. And when you talk about Mike Kafka, yeah, he's the offensive coordinator for the New York Giants under Brian Dable, but he was also under Andy Reid for quite a while. I think he'll be in the consideration ultimately if the Giants are one and done in the playoffs. I don't know if he'll be selected. I'm also wondering what jobs are going to come open, like which one of these coaches are going to get fired on Black right. Monday. So that's another thing that has to kind of be uh kind of come out because any team that has a young struggling quarterback might look at Mike Kafka and be like, yo, we might want to consider this guy, but I don't know if he's going to be the lead candidate when you have guys like Sean Payton who could be available and coaches like that. Yeah, I think you nailed most of how I feel about this, Nick. I'll start by saying I agree. Wink Martindale, don't even I wouldn't even concern yourself with that. He's not going to get hired as a head coach, in my opinion. Now, as far as Kafka goes. If these guys actually take a look, like these owners and the GMs take a look at the tape, the Giants tape this year, and they look at the personnel and they look at just some of the scheme that's Kafka has done. They look at I put a thread on it last week, a 16 play red zone thread from Kafka with like incredible red zone calls. And that's like 16 deep. That's a, a huge sample size. Um, and now what he's done with the quick game and what he's done to kind of like and then overall, like you said, what they did with Daniel Jones, you took a quarterback who was like dead last in um what was it DVO or not DVOA EPA. He was like bottom three for his whole career until this year. And in, um, there was one more of those advanced stats like, uh, EPA. It wasn't EPA though. It was, um, wasn't completion over expected. I think it was just like points. There was another one, but he's been like bottom three and now he's like in the top 10 in that right. In both categories. So if they look at that, I think there's a good chance they're going to be interested. And I think there's a pot, even higher possibility he can knock out the interviews. And then that's when it becomes a problem because once he knocks out the interview and they like what he did on film with Daniel Jones and this offense, then it's like, why wouldn't they hire him? Especially if he's young now working in the giants favor is what Nick mentioned. Sean Payton's going to probably throw his hat back in the ring. Hopefully Jim Harbaugh gets one of these jobs. That will be huge for the giants as well. Um, maybe we get another big name like that to leave college to come in. I don't think so. Those are the two are, that's the one rumor right now, but those are the types of things you're going to want to look for. Like Jim Harbaugh. Oh yeah. You know what? I'm going for it. I'm going to go back to the NFL. I want to prove myself. Great. Perfect. Right. Cause we need more of those types of situations. Yeah, we absolutely do. But if you really take a step back and think about what Mike Kafka has done this entire year, think about the, the amount of iterations of this offense, the amount of different styles and philosophies this offense had like early in the season, it was called the smoke and mirrors, right? It was a lot of just play action bootleg. Everything kind of ran through Saquon Barkley right now, at least over the last couple of weeks, everything's running through Daniel Jones, right? It's short, the short passing game setting up the run. People are like, why does Saquon Barkley only have 12 carries? Like what's going on? Why does he only have 14 carries? It's like, because they are able to throw the ball. This is something right. that we've asked for for so long. And they're still trying to get Saquon Barkley the football. I think there was one game where he had like, what, like eight targets or something like that. So they're still trying to incorporate his skill set into this new attack, but they are become much more balanced now. And they have different ways to affect you and beat you depending on what defense you roll out there. So I'm, I'm excited and I'm hoping that it continues in the week 18 and obviously into the playoffs. Matt Dubois asks if you could steal one player in the NFL that isn't a quarterback from, I love questions like this from any team and put him on the giants for this playoff run, who would it be? That's a great question. Um, I was, I was thinking about this and there are a lot of ways to go with this on one hand, like, It'd be interesting to put Sauce Gardner, in my opinion, on this Giants defense right now, especially with Dory coming back. 
just watching what Wink could do from a schematic standpoint with those guys would be sick. But I still think we'd have the same problem in run defense, so it wouldn't be enough. So I lean toward probably taking either Devontae Adams or Jamar Chase, one of those two players, and putting him on the Giants offense. Having said that, having said that, I think it would also be really interesting to put a fully healthy George Kittle on this team right now. With Kittle and Bellinger running a lot of 12 personnel, getting back to what we did before, but now you also have just like two sick blockers, right? You can run, you can run more stuff out of the run game. You control the ball, but you can also use them in the passing game. Like Kittle would work great in this offense from a passing standpoint as well. So it's close for me because I love those two way tight ends and what they can offer to your offense. I actually think I'm leaning Kittle, but uh, it's just too hard not to take a Jamar chase or Devante Adams. So final answer. I got to go with one. I'm going to go with Devonte Adams. I'm going with Justin Jefferson because the Vikings okay. can't use him. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> I didn't even think about that standpoint. Right. Yeah. It's actually, if you're thinking of it like that, the game theory, then it's obviously the, it's Je- Justin Jefferson. There's it's a no brainer. If you're thinking of it like that. Yeah. Justin Jefferson, either way though, I think just adding him to this offense, it would, it would be sick. But if you really want to go defense, I think it's an interesting, an interesting conversation as to who do you want to add? Cause you're right. Sauce Gardner, Patrick Sertain. I think those guys can be entertained for uh, the cornerback position. And I think that's where I lean, but do you also look at guys like Fred Warner? To yeah, really Fred Warner up near, too, you know right? what I mean? Like you can look at an edge rusher. It's like, well, it's like the giants have edge rushers. Like, well, if you add another edge rusher too, it's like, what could wink Martindale do then? You know, right. and it's just, I, but me personally, I think ultimately I might go, I think I might go cornerback, but I don't know. Fred yeah. Warner's up there though, too. Which corner would you go with then? You know, I haven't studied the film on them, so I'm yeah, going more off more off reputation and and just like what I saw from watching broadcast. I really like Patrick Sertain, but there is something about Sauce Gardner that I'm like, bro, this kid is like really freaking good, like like a really good cornerback. I think Trevon Diggs is a really good cornerback as well. He's a little bit more boom bust, a little bit like risky. Yeah. I think he's. I don't think he's in the echelon of those guys, those other guys. But if you're looking for somebody who can change the game for you. It is Trevon Diggs. Like Javon Diggs understands how to bait cornerback or understands how to bait quarterbacks. He understands right. how to take one to the house. He's done it several times. He wouldn't be, I think, in that same conversation with me than uh, the other two, Sertain and, and Garner. And I'm trying to think right now, is there somebody I'm forgetting? Like Tredavis White's just Jair Alexander, maybe, but no. Jair. I think Jair is a stud, man. And yeah, I love his swag and I love his hat too. So <laughs> He'd be up in that conversation as well. I think for me, if I was going corner, it would be actually sauce, to be honest with you. I just think what he did for that Jets defense, that Jets defense was the same system last year. They had Quinn and Williams last year, too, and they weren't that good. Then all of a sudden, really, all they added was because Carl Lawson's been been bad from what I've heard from Jets fans. He didn't have a good recovery from that injury and wasn't much this year, and they're going to cut it. It is the second second year in a system, and DJ Reed also, I think, is DJ Reed was a huge signing, and he's helped, but I just feel like part of it is just having sauce locked down an entire side of the field. And then you could do so much schematically with the rest of your players. And I think wink would do the same thing and it would be really sick to see. So it's that's close. The him and Adori on the, Oh yeah. That'd be so but the fun, problem though. is we still have the same issue in the run game. That's the only issue. That's why if I went defense, I actually think I would have to go like, I don't even know if it would be Warner. I'd have to look at like all the inside backers. Cause it might be like, um, what's his name? The Roquan Smith. It might be Roquan Smith. Cause he might be better for what the giants need. Like they need somebody who's run first, basically in my mind, just to like shut down any of those outside runs and just like make it so, okay, you cannot beat us this way. So it's a great question there. And it was a lot of fun. So thanks Matt for that one. We got a loaded question from Sal. 
uh, from in Queens, our, our guy, assuming we play Minnesota again in the wild card round, you guys are the coaching staff of the Giants. Devise your optimal offensive and defensive game plans to beat them. Is it the same formula as week 16? What would you do differently? We kind of already answered this, actually. Yeah, we did hit this one already earlier, Sal. But again, like just to reiterate, I would go keep going with the heavy 11 personnel. Keep going with the heavy run through Daniel Jones shotgun. And on the other side of the ball, the main thing for me is just rely more on your four-man pass rush, especially if they're all healthy. You don't need to blitz a lot against Minnesota when they have all these injuries on the offensive line. Let those guys win up front. Like I think Dexter Lawrence is going to ravage the interior offensive line of the Vikings, what's left of it. And on the flip side, I think healthy Ojolari and Thibodeau, whoever's lined up against that backup right tackle with Brian O'Neill out, is going to have a field day as well. Let those guys win. Trust them to win. Don't blitz. Instead, use those second-level defenders. And you could put Jefferson and Collins out there. I don't need linebackers on the field, but let Jefferson and Collins like flow into zones and like try to get their hands in pass lanes and make things more difficult for Cousins. Rob Allen asks, would you like the Giants stick to the plan to build through the draft in 2023 and look more into the trade market in 2024 when maybe we are a little bit closer to being a legit Super Bowl contender? 100%, Rob. I mentioned this earlier. This is where I'm at with it. Um, I don't I don't want panic trades. I don't love them. But if the right opportunity is there. Again, it's just like poker. Like if the if it comes into your your lap and you got to take it like you just got to wait for it so there might be a good opportunity this offseason we don't know like maybe it's brandon Ayuk who we discussed that's a possibility but let let it come to you he also asked do you think so like so many other people that adding a wide receiver one would automatically jump daniel jones into the top tier like stefan diggs with josh allen or something of that nature there's there's a lot more to the question but that's essentially what he's asking well, I'll read the rest of it because I think it's interesting. Do you do you think that uh, many others, so a lot of Giants fans feel all you have to do is add a wide receiver one and Daniel Jones is going to be a top five quarterback. That's how a lot of people feel because they're, they're, the thought process and the logic is look how good he's doing with these receivers. You add better receivers, it automatically means he plays a lot better. Um, and he says Mahomes lost his wide receiver one and actually got better, which is true. Mahomes is having a more efficient season without Tyreek Hill. And he says Carr added maybe the third best receiver in football. I would even argue Devontae Adams is the best receiver in football personally, but maybe Justin Jefferson at this point. But I think Adams is still the best. Um, and he's actually now on the bench. And he said Diggs was really good before Buffalo, but Allen made him a lot better. And I think that's also a really good point. Diggs has been a much better receiver with Josh Allen than he was with Kirk Cousins. So I actually don't agree with the fan consensus, and I agree with you, Rob Allen, that there is no guarantee that adding receivers is going to make Daniel Jones like a top five quarterback or top three quarterback or whatever. It should help him, though, regardless. Like, no matter what, adding a good receiver is going to help any quarterback that you have. So I think it's still a really good idea. Um, but no, I think you make some great points about um, the relationship between the receiver and the quarterback with your Mahomes example, your Diggs example, and your Adams example. Yeah, that's an excellent way to frame the question, and I agree with you. I, I never thought, and we've been honest about Daniel Jones here, that Daniel Jones was ever going to jump into the top five category. But if you give him a top wide receiver, if you insert Stefan Diggs onto this team, he's right. obviously going to be a lot better because he has a much better player that he's playing yeah. with. And I think Daniel Jones has made so many strides this season. I'm so happy and I'm so proud of Daniel Jones. But he's not going to just turn into Patrick Mahomes just by adding a player like Stefan Diggs or whoever, Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson. Yeah, I think that's fair. Green Machine asks, do you think Dexter Lawrence's emergence is more of an outlier or this is something that will become the norm? Yeah, it's a great question, Green Machine. I don't think it is an outlier. I think what Nick and I have discussed in the past and we stand by is progression in the NFL is not always linear. Like Dexter Lawrence was kind of on this path for the first few years of his career. And then he went like this this year and 
Why? Well, he got much better with his hand usage. Well, he also got used a lot in a, in a different way by this defensive coordinator. He's lining up over the nose more often, right? He's lining up over the center and, and having better matchups for him one-on-one than he's ever had at any point in his career. So I think the combination of coaching and more importantly, his hand usage and the improvements he made as a football player mean that it's not an outlier. I think this is the norm for Dexter Lawrence. I think from this point on, as long as he's healthy, he's going to be this player for the Giants or whoever has him. So hopefully it is the Giants because if you're getting this level of player, you don't let them go. Absolutely. And I think there were little breadcrumbs all throughout his film over the last couple seasons to suggest that he had this potential. We said it all the time on this podcast. I was a big advocate to pick up his fifth year option. And that sounds like it's an obvious statement now, but at the time that was a big discussion on Giants Twitter, right? Like Dexter Lawrence, to me, you turn on his film, you saw all the just rare athletic abilities because he never put it all together. But Andre Patterson and Wink Martindale put him into a position to put it all together with the hand usage, with just Andre Patterson stressing, hey man, use your freaking length more consistently because you're insanely long, right? Right. And then just aligning him over the nose, which has done wonders for his career. All those things just kind of got combined together. And now he is playing at, I would say, an elite level. And I don't think that's hyperbole. No, I think as a case to be made, he's the most impactful interior defensive lineman in the NFL right now. I know there's others who are playing really well. So and those fan, fans of those team or analysts of those team would have a good case too. It's hard to compare because we're not watching every interior defensive lineman on tape. But I can't think of too, I can't think of how much better you could play than the way Dexter Lawrence is currently playing right now. Okay, Pat Bennett Comedy asks, anyone you see the Giants bringing back next year besides Daniel Jones and Barkley that you wouldn't have thought they would bring back before the season? I guess he's also saying, like, look, we might have not thought they were bringing back Barkley and Jones. Now they are. Who else fits that bill? So I wasn't certain that they would bring back a player like Julian Love. We were like, oh, they have Xavier McKinney. I know Wink Martindale kind of like rotates safeties in. He finds safeties in like the sixth round, turns cornerbacks into safeties. That's probably what they'll do through the draft, right? I don't think that anymore. I think Julian Love will more than likely be resigned here. Not 100% certain of that. So he would be one of the first names that I probably look to. What about you, Dan? That's a good one, Julian Love. I think it'll be interesting to see if a player like Darius Slayton gets resigned. I definitely didn't think they're going to resign him before the season, but he has been a lot better, in my opinion, than Giants than some Giants fans think. Um, and he adds a lot, and he and he has the rapport with Jones down. Um, obviously, he drops a lot of passes. That sucks. Nobody wants that. Um, some of them, again, are a lot more contested than people realize, but they are all technically drops. Um, so and I don't think he has great hands. It's not like I'm advocating for him having good hands or anything, but. I think sometimes the plays he makes outweigh the mistakes. So Slayton would be one that I would consider and that one that they might consider as well. That rhymed, by the way. Also, Slayton, how about Jalen Smith? Plays he makes, plays yeah. he makes outweighs the mistakes. There it is. That's that's I, I told <laughs> maybe the answer to that question that we got a few podcasts ago, who would be the better rapper, me or you? Actually is me, based on that. One Danny Schneier the rhymer. There you yeah. go, bro. Schneier's on fire. Um <laughs> As far as like another player, Jalen Smith, but they didn't have him before the season, but I think now he has a good chance of coming back. Just players like that are probably what about awesome. Jahad Ward. Jahad Ward's is- another good one, but they didn't have him before the season no. either. So similarly, they if don't that- really fit the bill. Yeah, we weren't really like discussing Jahad Ward because we didn't know how he would be used, but I think right. I could speak for you here, Dan. Like he's been, uh, I would say, a pleasant surprise. Like he's not an elite player, he, he doesn't really huge impact. Glue yeah, huge glue piece. And when you, think about his impact in the locker room, the younger team and and how yeah. everyone speaks so highly of his leadership and just kind of his energy. I think it's really important for a team like this that is really young with a 25-year-old quarterback who was a little bit reserved and and not a lot of right. huge uh established players like Justin Tuck and Michael Strahan and players like right. that back in the latter parts of their careers. It's a good point. 
All right, we'll wrap this first mailbag up with one more question here. And remember, if your question wasn't answered, we still have a ton of pages to go through. We're going to do other parts to this mailbag, but we've we've heard enough feedback that the long not everybody loves the long episodes. We're trying to keep it a little tighter this time. So Jonathan Schmidt asks, this is a great question to wrap up on. What percentage of our current offensive playbook do you think is Brian Dable and Buffalo inspired? And what percentage would you say is Mike Kafka and Kansas City inspired? And what percentage do you think is from the players? AKA remember Dable saying we'd like to do what Daniel Jones likes. So he says, if Kafka eventually does get a head coach job, how much do you think the playbook would then change? Yeah, I think this is a really good question, but I believe it's a combination of all three, not to be boring here, but I think Brian Dable went in there with his system. You see a ton of Y cross, a lot of horizontal crossing yeah. type of routes, but you also see things from Kansas city, right? You see things that kind of look like maybe it has some Andy Reed uh, flavor to it. I think Mike Kafka, Brian Dable, and the rest of the coaching staff, not just those two, the rest of the offensive coaches got together and they helped devise this, this playbook and they incorporated Daniel Jones into the conversation. What are you comfortable with? And then they kind of built plays off of that throughout the season. They're like, well, Daniel Jones likes doing this. They got to know Daniel Jones as a player, as a quarterback, and said, well, he likes to do this. He likes to roll out. He likes it. And then they built plays around that. So I think it's really just a combination of all three. But if I had to pick one on like what is the framework, I would say Brian Dable. He's the head coach. And I think Mike Kafka came in and started giving his um, what he wanted to do as well. So that's kind of my answer on it. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I don't know if I can assign percentages to it, Jonathan, but I'll say this. I think the the core of the offensive system is Brian Dable. I think the core of the red zone is Mike Kafka. And so if they do lose Mike Kafka, that's where I'm more, most concerned. What happens to Giants red zone offense? Now, it's not all Kafka, right? Like when the Giants run quarterback power with Daniel Jones in the red zone, that's straight out of Brian Dable's playbook with the Buffalo Bills with Josh Allen. It's awesome to see. I'm so happy they're using that. But there is a lot in the red zone that is all Mike Kafka, in my opinion, and more Kansas City inspired. I also think whenever you see the orbit motion and all that like eye candy before the snap with the pre-snap motion and everything, not to say Dable wasn't doing that with, with Buffalo, but that's classic Andy Reid, classic Chiefs. Like They're doing it at such a high rate, and now the Giants are as well, which is great because we wanted to see that anyway. We wanted that to be the basis of the offense. So I would say that would be my biggest concern. Like when it happens, you know, if Kafka does leave and get a head coach job, what happens to the red zone offense? But I do have confidence that Brian Dable can do a pretty good job in there as well. I would personally say though, guessing what guesstimation wise, the Giants red zone offense would be worse without Mike Kafka, even with just Brian Dable. That's just how I feel. It's just a, a guessing game. I know there were actually some people who were Bills fans who were questioning Brian Dable's play calling last year before he came to the Giants. There was actually a lot of people who wanted them to go to Dorsey. And he had like, and that's going to happen with every fan base when there's like struggling. Remember that middle part of the year where teams were just playing cover two against Josh Allen and last year, I mean, and like the Bills offense was struggling. A lot of people are actually questioning Brian Dable from a play calling standpoint. I want so, I wanted to bring that up too, yeah. because I remember last year well when when they went down to Jacksonville and they lost yeah. like bad. And Josh Allen, the Jacksonville Jaguar, had a had a sack, had a touchdown, had a had all this stuff, had an interception. Yeah. I remember a lot of Bills fans kind of coming out against Brian Dable. But mm -hmm. when the Giants hired him, you didn't really hear much about that because the Bills went into the playoffs and had a successful playoff run and lost in that miraculous fashion to the Kansas City Chiefs. But that's just how fan bases are. I mean, our yeah. own fan base this year were questioning Mike Kafka like crazy, right? <laughs> so like <laughs> anytime there's losing, it usually tends to be followed by a lot of negativity. Right. Or even just a dry spell like that. Um, the last yeah. thing I would say about Jones, you said what percentage is what Jones like. I think Nick nailed it. Like 
way more now than it was the beginning of the season. Now this is a lot of what we're seeing is like even last week we saw some high low concepts that were that reminded me of some of what I saw with Pat Shermer during the rookie season when Jones was really thriving in that offense at, to some degree at times. So yeah, I think it's a good good combination of the three right now. So we'll wrap up there. Yeah, go ahead, Nick. You just got to think of like we talked a lot about the boundary stacks this week because we saw yeah. so many of them, right? Like the way the New York Giants offense, the way Mike Kafka, the way Brian Dable is using that guy who's on the line of scrimmage, basically just running him directly at the covering defender of the other guy to give him a free release. That's something we've seen this entire year, right? The, we've seen adjacent routes and adjacent wide receivers picking defenders off. And it's not necessarily OPI, right? It's all natural. But we've seen that throughout the year to give free releases to the wide receivers on the New York Giants, which ultimately gives Daniel Jones these easy reads to find. And I feel like Daniel Jones has done such an excellent job kind of uh, parsing through what he sees in the short to intermediate parts of the field and finding those players in the quick game, specifically over I would say probably since week 13, right? Or maybe yeah. if you want to even go before that, maybe week 11 against Detroit, but it was a lot of garbage time. And that's kind of what we attributed it to. Remember, we're like, yeah, they passed well in garbage time, whatever. But like now you, if you go back and you watch the second half of that Detroit game, and now you watch the Minnesota game, which was competitive through and through, you see the same concepts. It's almost like the Giants used the garbage time to establish an offensive philosophy that they were able to implement I would say in the most competitive of atmospheres, yeah. which gives me this uh, warm feeling, you know, moving forward that this passing approach is not just a fluke and it wasn't just because Minnesota sucks and the Colts suck. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It's the second time you mention it, and it's something interesting. I don't know if we discussed at length at all until this point, which is, you know, maybe that garbage time against Detroit was the best thing the Giants needed. Yeah, they lost that game, but ultimately it doesn't really matter too much in the seeding. They wouldn't, it wouldn't have changed too much. I don't think the Giants would have got the five seed if they won that game. And so ultimately what it did allow them was the ability to try new things on the offensive side of the ball, right? They weren't milking a lead. They weren't in their normal state that they've been like they were against the Texans the week before, where they're just kind of like running the football under center play action boot. Like they're like, all right, we're down so much. Let's see. Now we have an opportunity to kind of, see what we can do when we turn the offense over and make it more quick game, more shotgun, more run through Jones, more 11 personnel. And we don't really have to worry about turnovers or anything because we're kind of out of this game anyway. And we're just trying to come back really. I mean, anyway, we need points fast. And so that is something they weren't afforded in a lot of their other games earlier this season when they were in a lead. And so that's an interesting thing. I didn't really think about that until you mentioned it a little bit earlier on this podcast, but something to think about. It could be the blessing in disguise of the entire season right there. All right, that's all we have for on today's uh, mailbag podcast. This is part one. It's going to be multiple parts. There's I think five or six pages more of questions, which is awesome. We love it, but we didn't want to do it all in one show. So thanks for tuning in. Keep it locked and loaded, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>